Hey folks, this is Jesse Cope, back with another episode of the American Soul Podcast. Hope y'all are doing well, wherever y'all are, and whatever part of the day it is for y'all. Uh, as always, I appreciate y'all giving me a little bit of your time each day, or many days, and for continuing to share the podcast and help it grow. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm very grateful by that, and humbled. We're going to go for one of our little walks. Wind is up and down, so hopefully that won't be too much of a factor. Had some puppy dogs, but they have abandoned ship. Obviously, they found something more enticing than the sound of my voice, which maybe that's showing they have some good taste. I don't know. So we're going to go ahead and jump in. Uh, And we're going to jump into... (laughs) I feel like I'm biting off a lot here, folks. And so uh, if this is kind of jumbled and well I apologize in advance uh, this Churchill biography for those of y'all that have listened for a while uh, over the last I don't know maybe three to four months I have every once in a while done an episode from the second volume of a biography by a man named Manchester on Winston Churchill And the reason I found it so fascinating is because of the comparisons. This particular part, the second volume, covers the 30s primarily. And there are some, man, you could use a lot of words here, folks. Uh, Terrifying, shocking, you pick one. Comparisons between 1930s. Englishmen, because the biography covers a lot of their opinions, obviously, because Winston Churchill was an Englishman, and Germans and people we have in America today. And so I've read through a few more pages. I'm going to try and go and and tie some of this stuff together. Uh, It's, as I said, it's a pretty big chunk. And I don't mean that to scare you and say I'm going to be here for 30 or 40 minutes. I'm not. If we don't get to all of it today, then we'll come back to it at some point. I just mean the the topic is overwhelming to me. So I'm going to start with a little blip that just it just always shocks me. I, just, I never have understood it. Maybe you all can. Uh, and that's great. This is the first couple lines of a paragraph. Anthony Eden in the House of Commons on March 23rd, and under his debonair manner, he seemed honestly puzzled. Eden, he's puzzled by Churchill's warnings about Hitler and the Nazis. Eden had fought in France as a young officer in the King's Royal Rifle Corps, and had fought in the trenches, been gassed, and decorated. As a Tory, he disagreed with MacDonald on most domestic issues. MacDonald was the prime minister at the time. But in pursuing a lasting European peace, he felt they should all pull together. I think he was, MacDonald was the prime minister. I'll check that. As in the Eaton boating song, steady from stroke to bow. How could anyone misinterpret the prime minister's reply to the rising Nazis? It was certain Eaton earnestly told the House to secure for Europe that period of appeasement which is needed. If appeased, Hitler's anger would vanish 
his fear of encirclement would disappear. The Nazis, freed from anguish and insecurity, would become sensible, stable neighbors in a Europe free of rancor. The house gave him a standing ovation. Churchill and those around him remained seated. It always shocks me, folks, when I see or hear people in the military stand up for the values of the left. It's absolutely mind-boggling to see people that unarguably are willing to trade their life, at least in principle, for the country. And yet, to stand up for values that so blatantly endanger our republic and make it weaker and endanger individuals. And, and this idea of appeasement, we're going to talk about through a couple of these quotes. Appeasement never works, folks, never in history. It didn't work with the Nazis. It does, didn't work with Stalin. It doesn't work with China. It didn't work with the Muslims. It doesn't work with Iran. Pick it. It doesn't, didn't work with Castro. Uh, just the list is probably inexhaustible throughout history. You don't appease evil. You can't negotiate with evil. You can't meet in the middle. And yet, in the 1930s, there was a huge chunk of England that thought that, that went that way, that said, well, if we just, the words you just heard, if we just appease Hitler and the Nazis, then they'll become good people. They'll become stable. They'll become somebody we can work with. You can't, folks. The English couldn't appease the Germans, Hitler and the Nazis. And we can't appease the left today in America. There's no possible way. It's not going to work. You see it constantly. They always want more. They always want more. Because they're following an evil path. skip over a page or so. Neville Chamberlain, who would become the prime minister probably most responsible for, I don't know which, how you want to phrase it, folks, but he was the one that really allowed Hitler to open the door. He deplored Churchill's abuse of his talent to throw suspicion and doubts in the minds of other governments who have not expressed such feelings. He declared it England's duty to make every effort, exert every influence, and act as mediators to preserve the peace by reconciling estranged countries. The British government wanted to avoid all wars between nations because, and this was a typical Chamberlain touch, they thereby destroy the possibility of markets for ourselves. Appeasement became evangelical. Indeed, for some, the line between foreign policy and religion became blurred. Thomas Jones denounced Vassitart's hostility toward the Nazis. Baldwin commented, I've always said you were a Christian. Rage, wrote Margaret Asquith, the widow of the prime minister, should be met with Christian love. There is only one way of preserving peace in the world and getting rid of your enemy. And that is to come to some sort of agreement with him. And the viler he is, the more you must fight him with the opposite weapons than his. She concluded, the greatest enemy of mankind today is hate. 
As for the mistreatment of the Jews, some said this, and some said that. Fascinating thing, that last little line, and, and they elaborated on in this, the author does in this biography, but all these people talking about appeasing Nazis, appeasing Hitler, uh, and we need peace, and that's the Christian thing to do, and et cetera, et cetera. They had to whitewash what was, because even at this point, they were getting reports of what, and I'll read just a little section in just a second, but they were already getting reports of what the Nazis were doing to the Jews. And so they had to kind of whitewash that. And, and we'll talk about it in a minute. That was, that was kind of okay in the 1930s because Europeans in general had kind of a, if not dislike, certainly distrust for Jews. And so anti-Semitism was, you know, that was okay. It's those people. You know, they're weird anyway. They're kind of shady. Maybe he's doing us a favor. But this this idea here that that the greatest enemy of mankind today is hate. You know, we see that so often today in the American left. They talk about, especially people that don't, many people that do profess Christ, but a lot of people that don't, they try and use the teachings of Christ to say, well, you just hate gay people or the whole LGBTQ alphabet, or you just hate blacks or Asians or right or, or whites or whatever group they're deciding to pick on. You hate poor people. You hate women. You hate et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't matter. You can pick the group, folks. The greatest enemy is not hate, folks, at least not in the way that they frame it. The enemy here, you, you're not being loving or kind ever by encouraging people in evil actions. That's never loving or kind or standing against hate if that's the route you want to go. Because maybe maybe I phrased that wrong a while ago. Maybe the greatest is hate, but they certainly had blinders on when it came to that because Hitler and the Nazis absolutely hated other people, particularly the Jews, and they made excuses for them. LGBTQ relationships hurt marriages, families, kids. All you have to do is walk the halls of a school. I talk about that frequently. Go walk the halls. It's not loving or kind or caring to support those actions. You're not being any of those things. Illegal immigration comes in, takes representation and resources away from fellow American citizens, exploits women and children, floods the country with criminals just by de facto of illegal immigration and terrorists who sneak over. There's nothing loving or kind about supporting that. Critical race theory, uh, feminism, where you pick a certain race or gender and then you say they're being oppressed and so everybody else has to treat them differently, specially, more importantly, because they're not looking for equality. The left isn't, no matter what they say. Their actions show the truth. You're not being loving or kind by supporting any of that. Accommodations in school where you have different standards for different students. 
You're not being loving or kind or caring. You're giving those kids a crutch. Abortion. Absolutely no way you're being loving or kind there. By murdering a kid? And the fact that the left sells that as a, as a right that is caring about women is probably one of the greatest propaganda achievements of the 20th and now into the 21st century. The fact that the left has managed to spin that ripping a baby apart is somehow protecting and empowering women because they're obviously they're oppressed is the most ludicrous nonsense in history. I know that's 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 too big a statement, but it's just mind boggling. This idea of appeasing groups that not only want to do something wrong, but they want you to condone their actions, right? Like uh, illegal immigration, LGBTQ, people for abortion, uh, that whole list, critical race theory and education, revisionist history. There's something, there's always, almost always some selfish angle to appeasement. It's obviously hurtful and it causes problems, but there's always some angle there that's selfish. Well, I don't want to be labeled as such, so I'm going to go ahead and go with that. You know, even that, what you're really doing is you don't want other people to to look at you a certain way. So you're going to go ahead and stand for something not based on principle, but based upon the fact that you want to look good. Or you want to do something that you know is wrong, so you're going to encourage these other people in doing something that you know is wrong so that you feel like you can do what you want to do. There's always a selfish angle or, or just cowardice, folks. You don't really want to fight. You want peace at all costs, even though that hurts the poor and the needy, the widow and the orphan, the weak and the vulnerable. Still selfish. Here's just a little clip about the Jews, the martyrdom of Jews in the 1940s, which stripped anti-Semitism of its respectability. This is Manchester again from the biography. But in the 1930s, it was quite ordinary to see restaurants, hotels, clubs, beaches, and residential neighborhoods barred to people with what were delicately called dietary requirements. As late as the 1950s, the pocket Oxford Dictionary defined Jews as person of Hebrew race, unscrupulous, a sir or bargainer, cheat, overreach. Contempt for them was not considered bad form. They were widely regarded as unlovable, alien, loudmouth, flashy people who enriched themselves at the expense of, expense of Gentiles. So the English at this point, they were talking about appeasing Hitler, and a lot of them were using Christianity while the Nazis had already started to do some pretty horrible things to the Jews. I'm trying to pick and choose here, folks. I'm sorry. One of Churchill's relatives up here in an anti-Semite argued that Anglo-German friendship was mandatory if Western civilization was to be preserved. 
Churchill replied, you cannot expect the English people to be attracted by the brutal intolerance of Nazism. But, he was asked, how brutal are the Nazis? Britons wondered whether Nazi excesses were sufficiently outrageous to permit a deterioration of relations between London and Britain, or Berlin, sorry, thereby forfeiting what many believed could be a lasting peace. The Times, newspaper, thought not. The shouting and exaggeration of the new Reich, it assured its readers, was sheer revolutionary exuberance. Hitler's men, freeing or feeling themselves to be the only true patriots, are enjoying the sound of their own unrestrained voices. The trouble was that the noise, the ugly language, the accounts of bestial conduct didn't stop. You go back to the riots just recently here in the United States, uh, Black Lives Matter and Antifa. The left was always too willing to make excuses for that violence, smashing into stores, even killing people, rape, beating people, destruction of history. They were always ready with some excuse. Well, it's their right. I, I need to finish this and you'll, you'll understand. Be patient, counseled the Times. Hysteria was un-British. Anxious Germans may rest assured that all this is not deliberately misconstructed by foreigners. Most times readers on foreign policy were written, or most times leaders on foreign policy were written by editor Geoffrey Dawson or Robert Barrington Ward, a fellow Oxian, both of whom shared Lothian's conviction that France and Russia were conspiring to deny Germany her rank among the great powers, a place Dawson said to which she is entitled by her history, civilization, and power. There's always this idea uh, from the left that people are entitled, the, the quote-unquote oppressed groups are entitled to whatever they want to do. They want to break into a store, they're entitled to it because they've been oppressed. Uh, they want different scales, weights, measurements for, you're talking about education, you want you want a extra little extra help in because you're female or because you're Native American history, you know, like not even you, but your ancestors because X, Y, or Z. They're entitled to it because of their history, because they were, quote, oppressed, unquote. I knew that this was a lot to chew. Uh, I'll probably try and come back and tie this in, folks, because the last part of this is really what I want to get at. Um, but but here's the bottom line, and then I'll leave you all alone for the day. The English were, in the 1930s, a large chunk of them were focused on appeasing evil on appeasing Hitler and the Nazis, despite evidence already coming in of their evil. There are many, and I, I use this term real hesitatingly, that's a word, moderate conservatives and Christians today who think that if we just give leftist citizens, I'm not even talking about national politicians here, folks, the national politicians like Biden and Pelosi and Schumer, they just AOC, they just represent the people, just like Hitler 
yeah, he took power, but there were a lot of Germans there that supported him that had to support him up to that point of taking power. So however you want to cut it, there's a large chunk of Americans today that claim to be Christian and conservative that want to appease the left. Well, if we just, you know, they've just they've had such a hard time of it. If we just give them a little more, they'll be satisfied. You know, LGBTQ relationships, they just they just want to be able to be in that relationship and be left alone. You know, don't ask, don't tell in the military. If we just got rid of that, they'd be OK. It's never enough, folks. You can see it today. That's why we now have men, women, female sports in high schools and the NCAA. And how long will it be until those men pretending to be women start to take away scholarships and other things, jobs? Right. It's never enough. And then on the other side, the Germans, you, they had to be encouraging enough to Hitler for him to get into power, folks. They had to be accepting enough of evil for him to get into power. And a lot of the Germans did leave. They fled. But obviously, enough of them, the majority of them, did not. And they used these same harsh tactics that we start to see some of today. You talk about Hitler's stormtroopers that came in and, and threatened and intimidated. There's a difference, but I don't see much of a difference between them and the BLM Antifa mobs that we saw running around a couple years ago. There's a strong correlation there between the modern American left citizens and 1930s Germany, German citizens. Just like there's a strong correlation for a huge chunk of our supposedly Christian conservative Americans an Englishman in the 1930s. And I don't know how I'll tie this last page in, folks. I'm going to go ahead and let y'all go, but we'll come back to it at some point. I sure do appreciate it. Uh, if you get a chance, if you're interested in this kind of thing, again, this is uh, this all this was from Manchester's second volume. It's called The Last Lion. And the Subtitle, if that's right, for this particular book is called Alone, and it covers Churchill in the 1930s. It's pretty phenomenal, at least for me, <laughs> which hopefully y'all are much more informed than I am. But if you're in the same state I am, it's 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 eye opening, especially based on what we have going on today in America. God bless y'all. God bless your families. God bless America. Thank y'all so much for joining me. Hope y'all are getting a little something out of each each episode. We'll talk to y'all again real soon. Looking forward to it.